people know to sit down. <laughs> so look what happens when you invite a bunch of pesky visitors in. Psalm chapter 5, or Psalm 5. Listen to my words, Lord. Consider my lament. Hear my cry for help, my King and my God, for to you I pray. I remember the day you think a uh, 32 and a half years, it would begin to fade, but it doesn't. I remember it as if it was yesterday. Standing in intensive care, looking out the window. It was a cold January day. The snow's blowing. Even inside the protected area of the ICU, I could feel the coldness and the uh, strength of the wind and the blizzard and Asking the question, why me? Why me, Lord? I don't suppose any day is a good day to say goodbye to a wife. Just yesterday, we had had breakfast together and talked about what was going to happen if she got out of the hospital. I didn't know she wasn't going to get out of the hospital. You see, she had cystic fibrosis. And she was uh, very, very sick by then. And um, that morning when I looked out the window, she had been in a coma all night. And um, just yesterday we ate together and talked about life. And what are we going to do? And um, my sister was in town, so I drove her to the airport. And when I got back, I won't ever forget, I walked into the hospital room and the doctor sitting there holding her hands. Now, I'm not a doctor, so I don't understand all this. But I walked in, and he's holding her hand, sitting on the bed, and he said, so you see, Judy, there's nothing more we can do. We know what kind of infection you have, and we know where it is, but we can't touch it. And she said, okay, how long do I have? And he said, um, possibly two weeks. Possibly two weeks. So I backed out of the room, I'm not even sure she knew I was there, and went for a walk, and uh, trying, to <laughs> trying to make sense of this, and trying to have a conversation with the Lord about why he would do that. And um, I came back an hour later, and they had already intubated her, and and sedated her a little bit, and I asked the doctor, I said, I thought you said two weeks. And he said, no, I said at the most two weeks. And uh, within an hour after that, she was in a coma. So I spent the night just praying. I didn't leave her side. Those words in the psalm, crying out to the Lord, my King and my God, why, why would you do this? Why me? You have the power to change it like that. So I prayed all night. So by the next day, I was pretty exhausted, standing there at the window, watching the snow fly, just feeling the coldness in my own heart. 
uh, not sure what all of it meant. Worried about my two young children at home, one and three. Um, couldn't leave. Kept pleading with the Lord and pleading with the Lord and pleading with the Lord and pleading with the Lord. One of the things I kept praying was, God, I just had five years of a really good marriage, and yet I knew this day was coming, but I'm not prepared for it. Looking back, I'm not sure I ever would have been. And uh, I, I got to say goodbye, but I don't feel like I ever got to say goodbye. If, if you really are going to take her, can you make it possible to say goodbye? I don't even know what that looks like. So I'm sitting there, my head holding her hand, and I'm like that because I'm pretty tired. And I feel her uh, fingers wiggle a little bit. Instantly I was awake. And I looked up, and she's kind of doing this. And she's got tubes everywhere, and she's intubated, and all that stuff. And so I said to the nurse behind the control glass, I said, oh, look, she's waking up. And she looked up, and she just had this panic on her face. She comes screaming around the corner, and she says, Mr. Howard, she's in a coma. If she comes out of this, we won't be able to restrain her because of the level of pain that she would feel. And she hits a button, and chaos. The room fills with noise and people yelling and alarms and all that stuff, and she starts thrashing. And so being the opportunist that I am, I recognized the Lord had just answered my prayer. So I climbed up on the hospital bed, and I climbed on top of her, and I'm holding her like this. Now, she's five foot eight, and by now weighs 80 pounds, and she lifts me right off the bed. And she is just, just lifting me, and her eyes finally fly open, and I just saw... Uh, I've never seen that kind of raw energy and pain in my life till that moment, never. She's got me lifted right off the bed. I'm a big guy, holding me there with the pain. And so I just said, Judy, Judy, chaos all around me. I don't know what everybody's doing. So I yell really loud, Judy. And, and her eyes kind of focus, and I could see the shades pull back. And she looks me in the eyes, and I just saw the raw pain. And I said, I only have a few seconds. Just listen to me. Thanks for being such a good wife. Thanks for five great years. I promise to take care of the kids and never abandon the faith. And love the Lord with all my heart. In just a few seconds, the pain will go away. And you'll soon be with Jesus. And then in the blink of your eyes, I'll be there to see you again. It's just a long road for me. I love you. So she starts to cry. She's got me lifted off the bed with the pain. And I said, if you understood what I just said, just blink twice, and she did. And then uh, they gave her something. Her eyes glazed over. I said, I love you. She relaxed. 
the nurse comes up who'd been watching the whole thing, I didn't even know it, one of the nurses, and put her arms around me and said, it's okay, Mr. Howard, she heard you. She can get down now. <laughs> so I crawled off the bed. Two hours later, she died. I was with her when she died. You think I prayed before that experience? I had two hours to pray. Why me, God? Why would you do this? Why would you allow this? And then her heart stopped. So I stayed with her for a little while, and then they asked me to leave the room. I could come back. They had to prepare her, I guess. And so I left and came back in with my best friend, and I just walked in, and I saw her, and I just collapsed on the floor. Just a tear started to flow. And um, there was about 30 people from my church, and they all crowded in the room. They all said goodbye, and then they left. And I, after everybody was gone, my best friend, I asked him to stay. And I just picked her up and just held her and just said, why, God? You could have changed all this. Why didn't you do that? And just cried. The amazing thing about it is the moment that her heart stopped, the tears started to flow, and the pain set in worse than I'd ever felt in my life. But you know what else happened? There was a little seed that sprouted. I actually laughed. Because the Lord had just taken away the most precious person to me in the world, and I still believed. And for the first time in my life, I knew my faith was real. At that second, I won't ever forget that second, tears began to flow for days and days and days and weeks and weeks and months. And some of you know what I'm talking about. You've been there. You know that pain. That's Psalm 5. I told you the story because it's so easy to read lament psalms as an academic statement. They're not an academic statement. I wanted to personally invite you into my journey. Even today, 32 and a half years later, I cry. I woke up back in January or February, and I don't know what it was. I just was dreaming about her or something. I have no idea, and I just lay there and cried. We weren't made for that. I'm so grateful for Nancy. We've been married 31 and a half years. And I'm just so grateful for her love and patience through all this. Soon after we married, I would start to cry, and, or my son would start to cry, and she'd get the picture of our family with Judy in it and just come sit down and put her arms around me and let me cry. I wanted to invite you into the story because I wanted you to, to be part of my life. This is what David is doing. It may have been written 3,000 years ago, but he's inviting you into his life. Is there a theology behind it? Yeah, there is. Is there grammar issues, text issues? Yeah, there is. But underneath it all is a man that is standing there before God saying, where are you? Let's look at Psalm 5. And from now on, I hope after this day, you'll read every one of these lament psalms as someone else's personal story of pain. I was telling Mark what I wanted to do, and Mark reminded me 
again, Jesus could have died in his sleep. He could have never come. But he chose the way of pain because of something you relate to. Every one of you has experienced it. Every one of you at some level. Listen to these words. Listen to my words, Lord. Please, please consider my lament. Please. Please, please hear my cry for help. Ah, my King and my God. For to you I pray. I often add in my prayers, I have no one else to pray to. If you don't help me, I have no place else to go. No place. To this day, I still can't answer the question of why he took Judy. Don't try to anymore. All I know is my faith is stronger because of it. And I know she's laughing at me. No doubt in my mind, she laughs at me. I have said many times, she died and left me with a one and three-year-old. Our first words in heaven are not going to be pleasant. I definitely got the short end of that stick. If you only knew my son. All the strong-willed books in the world didn't even come close. I wanted to hand him to Jim Dobson just to see what he would do. Verse 3, in the morning, Lord, you hear my voice. So apparently this is one of his prayers first thing in the morning. Look what he had just done in Psalm 4. He begins, answer me when I call to you, my righteous God. Give me relief from my distress. Have mercy on me and hear my prayer. Can you feel it? Where are you, God? He concludes, in peace I will lie down and sleep. So apparently in Psalm 4, he's praying at the end of the day before he goes to bed in Psalm 5, he's praying when he wakes up. This is distress. You ever been there? Where you just plead at the end of the day and you wake up pleading with the Lord? I have. Verse 3 of Psalm 5. In the morning, Lord, you hear my voice. In the morning, I lay my request before you. I wait expectantly. You can do something about it. For you are not a God who is pleased with wickedness. With you, evil people are not welcome. The arrogant cannot stand in your presence. You hate all who do wrong. You destroy those who tell lies. The bloodthirsty and the deceitful you, Lord, detest. But I, by your great love, can come into your house and reverence I bow down toward your holy temple. Wow. Verse 7, by your great love. That is a special word in Hebrew. All those of you that have been to formal training, chesed. It's a special word in the Old Testament which talks about God's strong covenant faithfulness. He will never, ever, ever turn away. That's what that word is there. Because of your incredible love, because of your great love, because of your covenant, your promise, because of that, I'm allowed into your house. That's what we believe as Christians, isn't it? Because of the love of God, 
Verse 8, lead me, Lord, in your righteousness because of my enemies. Wow. Lead me in your righteousness because of my enemies. Use this in a, a good way for me. That's what happened with me. My faith, you see, when I met Judy, we got married. I was only been a Christian about a year. I didn't know anything about it. Nothing. I was definitely a pagan. She taught me about faith. And so I know what her prayer was. I am going to die. She knew that. She talked to the kids. One day after I've gone, I'm going to go to heaven. God's going to bring you another mom. Don't worry. He won't forget you. She told him that. She tried to talk to me about my next wife, and I wasn't going to have it. She told all of her friends that. She prayed all the time. She talked to the doctors and nurses about Christ, and she says, when I die, you'll see what I'm talking about. You'll see how Christians respond. Wow. Lead me, Lord, in your righteousness because of my enemies. Make your way straight before me. You're the one leading me. Open the doors. Make it possible for me to walk through this, whatever this is. Not a word from their mouth can be trusted. Their heart is filled with malice. Some of you have been there. People speaking horrible things about you that aren't true. Their throat is an open, open grave. When they talk, death comes out. That's how horrible their speech is. When they're, with their tongues, they tell lies. Declare them guilty, O God. Let their intrigue be their downfall. Banish them for their many sins, for they have rebelled against you. But let all who take refuge in you be glad. That's me. I may not have understood, have understood why he took Judy, but I had no place else to go. My only other option was anger and to run away, and I didn't want to do that. My faith was real enough by then that I just clung to the Lord and said, God, I have no place else to go. So Peter said, when Jesus said, do you guys want to leave too, like the other ones? And Peter said, where would we go? You have the words of life. <laughs> Let all who take refuge in you be glad. Let them ever sing for joy. Spread your protection over them that those who love your name may rejoice in you. Surely, Lord, you bless the righteous. You surround them with your favor as with a shield. So look where he starts out. This is every lament psalm does the same. It starts out with pain and distress and pouring out one's heart before the Lord and telling the Lord, here's what I want you to do. Strike these people who are hurting me. Take this pain away, whatever it is. You fill in the blanks. And by the end of the time of processing, a believer has no place to go but to the Lord. I didn't have any place to turn. I look back on my life now and I thank the Lord almost every day that he has been gracious to me. I thank the Lord that he's been gentle. Yeah, he took my wife away, but he's been gentle. He's blessed me. He's filled me with happiness and joy. There's no place I'd rather be than right here with you. No place I'd rather be. I was joking with the people up top. By the way, thanks for coming, all of you way up there. I need to get down and start working on my sermon. Of course, they all laughed. But the reality is there are some days 
I listen to what Mark does up here with the worship and the way he constructs the first part of the service. First part of the service is his responsibility. Second part's mine, so I don't know what he's going to do. There are some days where he so impacted me that I've checked my sermon and come up here and I talk off the cuff. Well, you wouldn't know that. Well, maybe you do. Maybe it's just really bad. <laughs> but that's the interaction that we have. I think one of the great fallacies is in the corporate world, they say, hire somebody better than you, and then they turn around and tell you how to do their job. If you're going to hire somebody better than you, why tell them how to do their job? Hire somebody better than me. So I say, do your job. <laughs> I'm not going to tell you how to do it. So I come up here, he shapes my sermons all the time by what he, what he does for you. That's what we do. There's no place I'd rather be right here. I love what the Lord has done in my life. That's a lament song. So in my own journey, I start out with darkness and coldness and pain, and I end up, by the time the heart stops, feeling that little sprout and say, huh, the Lord just took away the most precious person to me in the world, and I still love him. I can't understand that, but it's true. I know that. Then as the years go by, the faithfulness begins to grow and the flowers begin to sprout. In the lament psalm, he starts off, listen to my words, Lord, consider my lament, hear my cry for help. And where does he end up? You bless the righteous. You surround them with your favor as a shield. You protect them. He does the same thing. Some of you have been on this journey, haven't you? Sometimes the journey's long, sometimes it's short, sometimes it's years, but you still end up loving the Lord. Now I want you to see what Paul does with this psalm in Romans chapter 3. It's the most remarkable thing because it reflects the gospel. I get people to ask me, how come I'm so positive in my preaching most of the time? It's because I'm talking about the good news, not the bad news. The good guy wins. We should always remind everyone of that. Always. That's called the gospel. In Romans chapter 3, very famous passage. In Romans 1 and 2, heading up to 3, you have all these incredible passages about, about uh, that's where we talk about sexual orientation. That's where we get the verses for arguing about that. This is where we talk about those who are, who are morally good, those who know the law. And Paul starts off and he says, Let's talk about people that are really stuck in sin. They need the gospel, the good news, don't they? We all go, yeah, yeah, well, they do. And then he moves to, how about those who are morally pretty good? They, they need the gospel, the good news. Yeah, they really do. Okay, how about those who are, uh, have the law? They know the word of God. They need the good news too. Yeah, they really do. And then he does a trick in Romans chapter 3. Verse 9, we have already made the charge that Jews and Gentiles alike are all under the power of sin. Now he's talking about you folks, you who know Christ. It's one of the most wonderful rhetorical arguments in the Bible. He starts off with person that, people that appear to us to be very vile and works his way to people that are better and better and better, and they all need the gospel. And then he says, now guess what? So do you. You all alike. And here's what he says. He strings together all these psalms. There is no one righteous, not even one. There is no one who understands. There is no one who seeks God. All have turned away. All have together become worthless. There is no one who does good, not even one. Their throats are an open grave. Did we just hear that in Psalm 2? When they speak, death comes out. 
their tongues practice deceit. He pulls in the lament psalms to help us understand the gospel. The poison of vipers is on their lips. Their mouths are full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Ruin and misery mark their ways. By the way, he's talking about you. You say, I haven't murdered. Oh, really? Jesus said, if you've, com- if you've hated somebody, you've already committed murder. I bet if I asked how many of you hated somebody in your life, I'd find we have a church of murderers. That's what he's talking about here. The way of peace they do not know. There's no fear of God before their eyes. This is the story of the lament. The gospel, the good news, is the story of a lament song. We start out hopeless and desperate in our situation, and we have no place to turn. That's the gospel. Where does the lament psalm end up? God, you protect the righteous. You love the one. It's your loyal love that invites us in. That's where the lament psalm ends up. Verse 21, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been made known. This righteousness is given through faith, through the faithfulness of Jesus Christ to all who believe. There's no difference between Jew and Gentile. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of his blood to be received by faith. He did this to demonstrate his righteousness because in his own forbearance, in his own patience, He left the sins committed beforehand unpunished. He just looked the other way when you turned against him, like a good parent does with a two-year-old. He did did it to demonstrate his righteousness at the present time so that he would be just and the one who justifies those whose faith is in Jesus. You see, the gospel is a story of a lament psalm. It's a story of my life. We start out hopeless and desperate. We have no place to turn. The world has no answers. Many of you have tried that. Try drugs. Go for it. It won't get you where you want to end up. Try sex. It won't get you where you want to end up. You have no place to turn. And as you work your way through it and you begin to turn to the Lord, what you find is a Savior. His name is Jesus. Somebody who died for you. And you end up down here where he's the one that declares you righteous. And based on his own personal, loyal, committed love, he invites you into the sanctuary. That's what the Psalms is all about. That's what the Psalms are all about. When you read these Psalms, remember you're reading someone else's story. That's what you're reading. Father, to this day I don't pretend to understand your thinking in taking Judy so thankful for Nancy and the other two kids you gave me. You gave me four kids. I'm so grateful, Lord, for that. I'm so grateful that you have been kind to me. You have blessed me. You have been gracious. You've been generous. Thank you for your faithful love. Lord, I, I know that I have no place else to turn but you. To you. You have the words of life. Thank you for helping me see those words of life in my own life. God, I pray now as we turn towards a response, both in offering and in communion, Lord, that our hearts would be softened.
by this word. Thank you for the gospel, which is the story of our lament. We have no place to turn to you, but when we do turn to you, you bless us and you walk with us and you save us. You declare us righteous by your faith. Thank you, Lord. In your son's name we pray. Amen.